foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. It's the Move Your DNA podcast with Katie Bowman. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA and a bunch of other books about movement. This show is about how movement works on the cellular level, how to change your position as you move and why you might want to, and how movement works in the world, also known as movement ecology. All bodies are welcome. Are you ready to get moving? check-in with this series of interviews on non-exercise movement I've been doing. That is movement that's not done for the sake of physical fitness, but movement serving some other purpose. So far, we've talked about using our bodies to explore perhaps an innate desire to go great distances, the abundance of wild food and the movement it takes to get it, movement in nature for the purpose of tracking both knowledge and food, Movement in nature as a means to education, movement and birth, aka the original getting our personal parties started, and today we add a discussion on movement as a potential anecdote to polarized politics. So you might recall Ben Popjoy from a previous episode. He began integrating movement into his life in 2015 after hearing me on the Joe Rogan Experience, which is Joe Rogan's podcast. Ben started by walking to work and back, and these days he walks about, are you ready, 100 kilometers a week. That is 62 miles, folks. He introduced a social element to his walking. He started handing out sandwiches to hungry people in need he encounters on the streets of his city, and now he's created a new walking program for others to join. There's lots more going on with him, and I'm excited to hear more about it, which we'll do in a few minutes. But first, we must reach into the Move Your DNA mailbag. This question is from Anita. Have you ever delved into the topic of movement and using your voice? I'm not going to take this one personally, Anita. Don't worry. 
I've seen a video of a voice expert a while ago. Unfortunately, I can't find it again. And she discussed raspy voices. So voices like yours. Winky happy face. Yeah, you take your winky happy face. And the dangers of a vocal fry, often including, I think, a raspy voice. So I'd love to get your take on it. Is it really dangerous? So first of all, I'm just joking. I take no offense. This is my voice. So I know this is not the question. The question is... I guess there's two questions. Have I ever delved into the topic of movement and using your voice? And I think Danny and I did a show that included something about this, or maybe we were just talking about my raspy voice and a therapist emailed her. And I think Danny actually did some work with her and I probably should too. So I am definitely a verbal processor and I, I would not be surprised if this is verbal, vocal fry out, burn out, whatever you want to call it. So is it dangerous? I don't know. There's therapists who do this specifically. So there's this one therapist that's contacted me. I'll look for her contact information of maybe if there's a field of what she does and put it in the show notes so that Anita, if you're interested, you can pursue. And then of course I should pursue. And then there's also been some people recommended to me who work in the field of yoga who have different things for the throat as far as like, so like, you know how we all have our things that like, yeah, I know I should do that. And I want to do it, but I'm still not doing it because I haven't changed parts of my life to make that happen. This is one for me. Clearly my voice is not working for me any longer, but I have to change so many things to be able to address it. And I just haven't mustered yet. So thanks for the check-in and I'll, and, and trust me when I get to it, you'll know probably because I'll just do a podcast with nothing but static. But also, have I ever delved into the topic of movement and using your voice? And it's interesting. So I'm working, I'm not going to say a project. It's not a book, but we all know what it is. And, you know, enlisting all of the natural movements, it's a very large list. And vocalization is on that list as far as natural human movements. And there's a lot of therapies, exercises, non-exercise practices, meaning they're not done to fix the throat, but, but vocalizations that have been woven into ceremony or cultural practice. So obviously it's been on human minds for a long time. And so I don't know anything about it. It's, there's so many things to know about, but I would wager that I could be using my whole body to project in a different way, like, or at least diversify. Like I'm pretty much talking and explaining at a particular volume all the time when I'm teaching and then in podcasting, it's very similar. And then of course, since I process everything with words, I'm just like doing this all of the time. So silence is, you know, I'm going to do a social media break coming up this summer. And I wonder if I should also do like a, a talking fast. I don't often lose my voice. Like, I hate to even say that out loud, but like that's been something that I don't regularly experience maybe once in my whole entire life, given the crazy amount that I speak. I mean, this used to be called Katie Says, right? So obviously it's like Katie used to say, but now her voice is fried. So anyway, I, I don't know if that's a helpful answer, but it helped me out. So thanks a lot. So remember, the podcast questions are made possible by our Dynamic Collective, which sponsors this portion of the show. And there's another one coming up. These companies include four minimal footwear companies, Earthrunner, 
Unshoes, which are both sandals. My Mayu Outdoor Boots for Kids and Soft Star. And one minimal furniture company, Venn Design. I've personally used all of these companies for years. They do good work. For more information on them, go to the show notes, click listen, click podcast transcripts. They are linked at the top of the show notes. So let's get to it. Ben Popjoy is my guest today. Ben Popjoy is an avid walker, passionate about converting his physical movement into social movement. He's fed thousands of Indeed people on his walks and has used ultra marathons to fundraise tens of thousands of dollars for community causes from Toronto all the way to Tokyo. If you've read my book, Movement Matters, Ben's name and story will be familiar to you. He wrote the foreword, Ben Popjoy, welcome to Move Your DNA. Thank you so much for having me. As many listening know, I work on clarifying definitions around movement, one for better science and two for better application. If exercise slash sports slash athletics slash fitness are the only entry points to movement, this makes it very challenging for all humans to see how movement fits into life from both a biological and a practical standpoint. So I I personally recognize the, you know, quote, exercise as movement phenomenon personally after having my first child and still having this full workload. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to choose between mothering time, my creative production, you know, work time and exercise time. And I found that I found that I didn't want to because I had a strong desire for challenging movement, like hours of it a day that desire had not gone away, but I now I was in this n- new scenario where I also had kind of an equally strong desire to be with this tiny human and also to still do my work, which had just defined me for a long period of time. And I couldn't reconcile it. It made no sense to me why I was having to choose, which sent me back to researching cross-cultural data and trying to understand why I had to make a choice, which led ultimately to the content you can now read and move your DNA and movement matters. So in short, that exercise is one type of movement, a new type of movement to human beings was my takeaway. There was more to the science of movement story than a daily bout of exercise. So I had a pleasure of hanging out with you, Ben, at the book release party for Movement Matters, and you shared a story of having I don't know, a different but yet similar jolt of recognition about how you had perceived movement as a youth. So can we start with you sharing some of those insights? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I was born in the 80s and was definitely like a TV child. So a lot of my views of exercise were, you know, really corny athletics on TV or kind of like the spandex aerobics (laughs) fitness fad. So let's get physical. (laughs) Let's get physical. So I always found it kind of like off-putting. And then you know, uh, I have quite cultural parents who always took us to museums and galleries. And so definitely kind of veered into being more of a book nerd when I was a kid. And that kind of, you know, led to being in my teens and being in the music and uh, getting into punk. And what I found in that community, you know, there was always this kind of antagonism between like the punks and the jocks, which to me is part of a larger kind of divisiveness between like brain and brawn. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think in a lot of ways, it relates to Uh, the division of labor, right? Like specifically the capital itself, that the more you have, the tend, uh, the less you tend to physically do. And the more you kind of like minimize people who work physically. And so I've always thought about it in these two silos of like uh, 
brain and brawn, and they've always seemed to be at opposing ends of the spectrum. And then I realized that, you know, the third pillar missing from that is like balance and connecting the two. And uh, yeah, I kind of arrived to that at my in my own way after being, I guess, a bit of a hater for a while. You started to add more movement, as you wrote in Movement Matters, about how you started to introduce more movement into your life simply by walking to and from work. So why why did you start there? I started with walking because a few years ago, I was radically out of shape. And I found that one thing that I've kind of come into my own is, is essentially like learning physical literacy and learning about my body and learning about what it can and can't do, and even moving beyond what I think it cannot do. And at the time, I was so radically out of shape that I just arrived at walking because it was the easiest, lightest thing on my body. And I found that, you know, I could actually integrate it in my life in a way that was like seamless and functional versus, you know, groups, exercise classes, which were embarrassing for me, as well as like a detour from a busy life. So I found that the sweet spot for me was utilizing movement in a way that I had function to like enhance or enrich my life versus this perception that it was detracting from it or an inconvenience or something I had to schedule. When you say embarrassment, were you embarrassed because of your physicality that you didn't feel you were capable or that you were someone who was going to go to an exercise class? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I think Mm -hmm. that like when you are out of shape and you're heavy and you don't fit conventional standards of beauty, you feel exposure and vulnerability walking into any gym, especially like if your skills aren't at the level as like other people in the gym where there's like technical equipment where you might not have uh, the know-how how how to use. There's, There's no camouflage. So I don't find that those like environments are fundamentally like inviting to people who want to learn because they're technical, like they're literally surrounded by mirrors. It's just, you know, for me personally, it's just like not an, it wasn't an inviting place at the time. So what kind of difference did it make to your life to just start your commute on foot every day? What I liked about it was I started in the winter and I started bundled up. So I felt like it gave me this kind of like regular looking camouflage that I was like in quotes working out without not without looking like I was working out. I remember at one point, I gave running a go. I got kitted out in all this really weird gear, you know, like really like all gear, no idea, went running. And then one of my clients was like, oh, my God, dude, I saw this guy running. and He looked exactly like you, but I knew that wasn't you. And it was me. And I was like, this is so mortifying. Did you tell so, him it was you? Hell no. I've, I've, <laughs> even to this date, I've never gone back and told him. So yeah. for me, I just liked that it. it was like casual as right. opposed to like this big application. And, and it was seamless. So exercise at this point still feels like a suit that doesn't fit or a, a label that doesn't fit, right? Like it, it seems like even even once you were moving, you are still not like the fit exercise slash jock guy. Absolutely. And even to this day, like I don't like the word exercise because to right. me it speaks to like programs. To Like there's like mm-hmm. a conceptual cast around like what right. it is and what it isn't. And to me, it's like I principally don't like the word exercise. I like the word movement. And because I think it's just tied to however you want to express that, whether it's dance, whether it's walking with, you know, various loads, walking your groceries home, it can can be whatever you want it to be, as opposed to some uh, projected notion of, you know, what exercise is or has to be. Okay, so before long, you've been commuting back and forth. And now you are, you know, quote, stacking your life. You're saving up your errands so that you can do them on foot on one big outing on the weekend, for instance. So why did it make sense to you to do that? 
I just found like I enjoyed being outside, like as someone who spends uh, his days in front of computers or clutching, you know, smartphones on calls and reviewing emails, like just being outside and being present, I found was like a unbelievably amazing benefit of just being outside walking, like not only just inhaling fresh air, but uh, being kind of a firsthand witness to the world as opposed to uh, receiving broadcasts of it through social media feeds. Like I just felt more present out in the world and saw so much ma- magic out there, you know, just like really funny things that you don't notice blazing by in a taxi cab or inside in the gym. So it was just very humanistic to me and its appeal. So I guess naturally I was going to ask, so you start to make sandwiches to take along with you on your walks, to hand them to people directly in need and what did you see that convinced you to start doing that well there's a lot that i saw but equally uh, a lot that i felt so obviously i made a bit of a new year's resolution to get fit and it became a big initiative in my life that i started to prioritize every day and so i was aware very early on that a lot of my time was being put directly into me and my improvement And while that's great on a personal level, what I found was I was doing that often outdoors on walks, whether it was, you know, before work or after work, I live downtown, I live in an area where there's a big mental health uh, building. And, you know, I just started to pass the same people on the streets. And, you know, it kind of there was this reckoning moment where I realized I was focusing so much on my improvement walking by so many other people that it just, I just couldn't reconcile it. And so I thought one thing I could do is, um, you know, kind of integrate my um, or reform my physical movement, have more social movement and um, try and do a bit of good in the community. So there's changes in yourself, I guess, physical changes in yourself that are easy to measure because you can look at photos that you took of yourself before and during. And I guess there's no after, but along your journey. So you can see how your external body has changed and you can probably even measure the difference in your mental and emotional life, but how do you assess the impact of your efforts towards social change? Like, how do you track that movement? God, that's a, it's a really tough one to answer because, uh, and maybe it's not even important to track it. Maybe that's the answer, but how, how do you think about it, I guess, or quantify it or feel about it? Yeah, I guess the way I thought about it is like, as the weight came off, my body, you know, I ended up losing a hundred pounds going from someone who was like completely out of shape to someone who has like a a pretty decent level of fitness. Now, uh, as that weight came off, I would walk more and I would see more. And so when you see more and you're receptive to what you're seeing and it leaves an imprint on you, you inherently want to do more. So even though I think looking in, people could see how I've kind of retooled my physical movement to do social movement. To me, it's just like, it still never feels enough because of, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the suffering that I see out there. So that's why I'm constantly challenging myself to reimagine how I can make a bigger impact and do more. So um, that's why kind of the journey of how I've used movement to unlock social movement has kind of grown like wider and deeper, uh, effectively trying to change more. In my mind, I'm just thinking of like an athlete will look at, I guess, the landscape of physical feats to hurdle or to achieve. And so I guess if we're going to make an analogy, you're using your physical body and always trying to, I guess, expand 
not the capacity of your body. That happens lockstep or almost incidentally to, I guess, the the sport that you are doing is social change like that. And like you're hurtling and you are, you know, sometimes going longer distance that you actually see that as the event. The event is effectiveness of the, the suffering or the problems that you see. That's just my side note of like I'm thinking the words that you're using are very similar to how an, an athlete, especially someone who's constantly physically trying to challenge themselves. It's just your your challenge is others, I guess, impacting others. Yeah. Yeah. I think in like athletic terms, you know, people talk about like personal best and trying to, right. you know, is it run further, achieve a faster pace, swim more lengths or whatnot. And so for me, you know, my personal best simply is how can I be a better person? Yeah. And I don't think there's, there's no finish line across over that because there's always new challenges. And I think one quote that I kind of take a lot of inspiration from is I saw Gloria Steinem speak last year at the women's March. And uh, she had this quote where she said, you know, thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. And obviously this is directed uh, to women uh, who are there, but it really resonated with me to say, you know what, like sometimes you have to put your body, like don't put your money where your mouth is, like put your body where your movement can provide action to address changes out there. Well, it is called activism. It's a big physical word. So again, thinking about this idea that, you know, you're in search of your personal best and that there's your body executing that for you. Have you seen your, if we just talk purely biomechanical and the diversity of movements, have you seen the diversity of your movements change as you challenge your personal best? Yeah, I think like my ability to go far, I think is pretty, pretty remarkable and like what I've been able to achieve. So, you know, like my feet have gone through a journey <laughs> of their own from being like these supple, like chair feet that had, you know, never really been worked out. Uh, then I got into walking where like, you know, they were so raw and they went through this phase of them becoming like so callous. They probably look like caveman feet. And now they've kind of like evolved to be like regular looking feet with this, like, I don't know, they're like superhero feet now, like look normal, but I still am out there trekking more than ever. So I have seen these like weird, almost like evolutionary changes uh, in my body and even just how it feels to move. Like, you know, I remember when I'd go out before where walking for an hour felt a long time. And like, you know, I regularly go and just do continuous marathons, which can take like six hours. And just through focusing on breathing, I can just get lost and, you know, hours sail by. So yeah, it's been fascinating to just experience how different movement can feel. Okay. So I want to talk about your new endeavor. This spring, you are starting a new initiative that again is going to combine walking or movement and social change. So tell me about democratic exercise and how it works. So it's kind of been like a few years in the making, you know, when I kind of entered into this world of trying to use physical movement for social movement, I was doing it alone. And, you know, f- at first I was handing out sandwiches to any people on the streets. And obviously it's like, it's quite a tactical approach where it's just me out there giving someone one meal and providing like just one meal that reduces like a tiny bit of suffering. It isn't really changing anything systemic. 
So then I kind of segued into doing these kind of like DIY organized ultra marathons for causes where I'd raise a lot of money and they were great, but they were always like these kind of like PR events with like a big pulse where a lot of people would rally behind them. We'd raise tens of thousands of dollars that would go to a cause, uh, but it was a bit of a pulse. So I was like, you know, how can I create something that is more holistic? And so, you know, just seeing politics in the U.S., you know, politics in the UK with Brexit, I just saw more and more divisiveness. And then online, I'm seeing kind of like virtue signaling. Um, I'm seeing like echo chambers. And I just realized like, you know, there's a strange kind of reality right now that we've never been more connected, yet we're so less interconnected in terms of, you know, how we interact. So I came up with this idea essentially of starting this walking program of putting strangers together over a cup of coffee to walk and talk a mile in each other's shoes, just to have about 30 minutes of exercise where one walker answers a question on the first miles, the other listens. And on the second mile, that inverts, like simply to power human exchanges from people, uh, no pun intended, from different walks of life to create these heartfelt exchanges. Because I believe, you know, knowledge exchange uh, isn't only at the basis of uh, a strong democracy, but is fundamental to having empathy for one another uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that's a, a firsthand account. At this point, it seems like there's a lot, I'm not sure if it's communication or pseudo-communication happening right now. The bulk of it is happening on the internet. And there is, I mean, if we're going to talk about the shapes that we're in when we're communicating, the bulk of my human-to-human connection, let's say outside of maybe dealing with my immediate family, the people at work, is happening with like me hunched over, standing still. And so many of these topics are, oh, how should we say, hormone secretion inducing. You know, they are, they're polarizing topics oftentimes. And so I am really a firm believer in, you know, stress and conflict. These are natural to human states, but they're happening in a sedentary context, which I think is changing the outcome of these perfectly natural states of, again, conflict and stress. So I, I remember my uh, brother a long time ago, he's like, how do I have this? Well, like my wife and I, we always get in the same argument or my uh, coworker and I, we always get in the same argument and I don't know what to do. And all I could suggest was, was here's what I suggest. When you start getting into that topic that just doesn't seem to ever reconcile, I say, try lying on the floor when you talk about it. Put your legs up the wall. Radically change your own physical shape so that the per- your perspective is literally being changed and see what happens. And what happened is, you know, when he went to go do this, you know, quote, ridiculous thing, it broke the energy or the repetitiousness of this same phenomenon. And it was enough to change the pattern of the fact that they would just they when they would get adopt their same stances or whatever. So I really like the idea that that you're adding movement because one movement metabolizes, you know, all the things that come up and then two, it's also beneficial for the it's a beneficial to you for this period of time. In addition to the communication, you're also addressing maybe other things that are on your personal mission statement of getting more movement. Can you give me a couple examples of questions? Like, how does it work? Like, how do you get the questions? What are the questions? What are some of the machinations of it? 
So uh, luckily, I work for a really cool company that has always been super supportive of all the initiatives. And we moved into a really awesome new office last year that's kind of street level in Toronto, right in the hub of the community. And uh, it's actually an old church that was uh, retrofitted to later be a community center. It kind of languished for a bit, and then we took over the building. So it's always kind of had this role in the community, and we've always kind of thought about how we could um, kind of like celebrate that. So I've just been generating this idea to take advantage of our kind of new physical footprint. And so the idea is essentially, it's uh, if you were to dumb it down, it's a, essentially like a walking coffee club um, where you show up, um, you're given a free coffee and on the Java jacket, uh, there's going to be questions, you know, and these questions are kind of, they're just intended to spin conversations. So uh, they're not yes, no questions. There are questions that can be about just highly personal things. So it could be, you know, what is your greatest fear or what was your first heartbreak to questions that kind of connect back to, you know, maybe some more political subjects, like does your individual vote make a difference. In Canada right now, we're going through the legalization of recreational cannabis. So we might ask, is that a good or a bad thing? It's just meant to uh, let people share a point of view uh, and compare and contrast and have a discussion. So uh, the two individuals will be given coffees as well as a map that just has like a unique little uh, trail on it that's color coded to show mile one and mile two. And it's just uh, essentially uh, a conversation where one person answers their question uh, as the other listens and vice versa. And then it's up to them basically to determine the extent at which they want to get into a discussion. I was sharing it with my husband and he, he just, he had such a nice, I guess, summation. And he said, even if you're unable to, I guess, metaphorically walk a mile in someone else's shoes, at least you could walk alongside them for a mile and perhaps come out a bit different as you do, which I really love that. I was reading some of your, you know, your deck kind of breakdown on the purpose of the program and how the pro like what needs the program is meeting. And you had listed some, I guess, bullets or points that the UN, the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, I don't know if require is the right word, like list as as being so. And what are some of those and how are you meeting? How is this program meeting some of those? Totally. So I guess like, you know, I always kind of think about like any project I do of like, you know, why am I doing this? What's my right? What's like the the greater purpose? And so, you know, I'd be really fortunate to be able to walk all around the world. I think I've knocked off like four continents and, you know, major cities, some areas that are super sketchy. And I've been made acutely aware just through my experiences that like I have a level of freedom in my movement that is like unparalleled. I'm like a white probably upper middle class person um, that can drop in and out of areas. And so, you know, I just had this like kind of realization that like I can move through the world in a way that so few others can. And it's obviously like unfortunate. So how can I use my movement as a means to open, open the door open uh, for others to move? And so I was just kind of trying to conceptually frame it in my mind. And that, you know, just led to looking at the Declaration of Human Rights, where, you know, it um, kind of like argues for people's right to life, liberty, security. Uh, and then I read like freedom of movement. And that really resonated with me. Obviously, it speaks to the fact that, you know, citizens within a country shouldn't have their movement suppressed to move from A to B. But it also connected to my belief in 
how free movement, which is, you know, movement that can be freely done or movement that has no cost, you know, outside of exercise and gym memberships can promote some of these virtues, especially, you know, later in the UN uh, Declaration of Human Rights, where it speaks to freedom of thought, opinion and expression, peaceful assembly. So I just feel that a walking program where people are free to go where they want and free to speak as they choose really helps strengthen some of the core principles of a democracy. And, you know, quite often, a lot of us like aren't exercising uh, that muscle of democracy and, and we should. So when you think back to yourself at the start of 2015, walking in the cold in your uniform of like, I'm just someone here walking and then yourself today, as we talk, what range of movement do you see in your own life? Like that is how has moving more changed you and the way that you are in the world? It's a big question and it's a tough one to unpack. I think like, you know, it's definitely made me more present when I walk, you know, everything from like um, a being, you know, traffic lights to not texting while I walk. So I don't trip over a curb. So it's definitely added a level of presence in my life that was like unforeseen. And I find that really calm and meditative. And I think because I've been able to walk, not just in my community, but around the world, I've been able to see a lot in a way I wouldn't have had I been like in a taxi cab. And it has increased my empathy tenfold, 100 fold. I think, you know, the more you're out in the world, you realize that the world is a radically different place, but there's also a ton of patterns. So just seeing how, you know, in cities, poverty disproportionately affects like women and children. And it's just made me confront my privilege as well as, you know, what I think people of privilege should do to challenge their privilege and help unlock it for others so that all boats in the harbor rise. And I've happened to try and do that just through movement. Yeah, the difference between, I mean, I guess there's reading about things and understanding them theoretically and then embodying them, you know, walking the walk, literally, it it changes. Even if you had that understanding before, theoretically, cognitively, there is a difference in understanding it, I guess, with your own physicality, your own your own body parts. Favorite moment on a walk or location for a walk? Maybe favorite societal awareness that came about it so it's not maybe just like the beauty of the place but a a transformative moment oh man (laughs) so many i mean i was in istanbul right when the syrian refugee crisis started to happen and um just seeing you know hundreds of thousands of people like in the streets i think was like a big wake-up call that no matter how busy you are most of us can do something. And so, you know, in that instance, I just did something small, which is giving out water, but being confronted with like a witnessing a humanitarian crisis, which I've seen tens of thousands of times through television, but to experience in person was like incredibly powerful. Uh, And that spanned to, you know, I walked through the Redwoods when I was out uh, in the San Francisco area with you. And that was just amazing in terms of just kind of seeing you know, in one area, you can be so significant and make a difference. And then you walk in the redwoods and you just realize like we're so insignificant and we're so small within the kind of like grandeur of nature. So there's just been tons of moments like that. I've seen like countless people propose, like do like marriage proposals, just a lot of beautiful small moments that are so small and nuanced. But uh, I think just 
help me have a positivity because I get to see so many little magical moments. And, you know, a lot of times I find people are like, you know, why don't you just go biking? Why don't you just go running? And for me, it's like <clears throat> not about blasting through space and time. It's about enjoying space and time and walking has a slow pace that allows me to see like slow, small, nuanced things. Just that last bit that you talked about is, is one to share. I just remembered right now the first time I ever tuned into suffering. And I was six years old walking on the streets of San Francisco and saw for the first time a visual that I won't share, but that is when I recognized that the world was not as I had perceived it. And I remember it just right now, just because you talked about walking the streets of San Francisco. So thank you for that. That could be a question. Like, when was the first moment that you recognized that there was suffering? To go back to... What you just said. So, you know, why don't you just go cycling or running? And I think it it goes back to you see your movement as more than taking care of your physical fitness. Yes. Yeah, I don't even it's funny because I don't even think about physical fitness and that component. It's funny. It's just like like I love going and walking out in the world because I find the world so inspiring for both its positive and negative reasons. So I think without sounding corny, it's kind of like soulfully fulfilling just to be out in the world and be present and to witness it firsthand versus through clips on the news or, you know, people's photographs on social media. So for me, I think just being out in the world and walking through it lets me be a participant in the world as like both an observer and someone who can enact, you know, small forms of change. Right before you started, though, you know, right before you decided to, you know, I could do that walk. I can do that first thing. Maybe it was still soulful, but it was your soul. Or was there any was it ever about your physicality? Was that the inkling that got it started or was it network was physicality never even in the equation? I mean, I think my pursuit of. It's kind of funny, like when I first started walking, there was definitely this, you know, the impetus was to get in quote unquote, like better shape. Uh, but I kind of arrived at that years ago. <laughs> Sometimes I meet people and I'm like, damn, why are you still walking? They're like, you're kind of, you're, you're fit now. Like the, the program, you know, like the credits of, mm-hmm. of run the movie's over. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, my, my belief is, is like, you know, health is never something you can just contain like it, it you have to walk towards it every day and secondly you know i've had a kind of revolution myself where walking to me is no longer about fitness or exercise it's just about being present in the world being a participant and being inspired by it so it's non-exercise it's not even falling in the category of exercise at this point it's to serve many other purposes besides your physicality which is a hallmark yeah. definition but that's what makes something exercise or not exercise is really the intention behind it where can where can people find I guess you or more about democratic exercise? I'm on Instagram uh, at Ben Popjoy. I typically use it just to share photos from my walks. So if you are curious where I walk and the funny things that I get to see, that is a place to find me personally. And then on uh, Facebook and Instagram, we're launching democratic exercise, all one word. And democraticexercise.com is going to be our URL where people will be able to find information about the walking program. I live in Toronto, so we're launching the program there. But the aspiration is to 
create a module that other communities will be able to download and freely organize programs in their own communities to kind of borrow from like an open source model. That's wonderful. Anything else you want to let everyone know? Get out there. The world is beautiful. It can be inspiring and depressing, but every day you will see something magical and it'll make you smile and inspire you to walk the next day and be out present in the world. Thank you. I really appreciate you and what you are doing. And I really thank you for all the contributions that you have made to me and my work. So thank you once again for contributing by coming and being my guest here today. Always a pleasure and vice versa to you. Thank you for, you know, not many people know that you are the catalyst, you know, hearing you on a podcast uh, that inspired me to move. So if I can now be on your podcast and inspire that in someone else, uh, it really shows how, you know, movement has these reverberations that can improve all of us. Yes, community, right? It's just stacking back with some community. So I appreciate you doing that in real time. Real human to human connection. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. Ben Popjoy is an avid walker who is passionate about converting his physical movement into social movement. His latest endeavor is called Democratic Exercise. It's a free, nonpartisan, community-oriented walking program that pairs strangers with to-go coffee cups who walk a mile together, answering the unique and personal question they will find attached to their cup. You can find more at democraticexercise.com, and we'll put a link in our show notes to that website and to the Instagram account, Democratic Exercise. Time to answer one more question. This is from Charles. Charles asks, I'm having real problems with my left hip. It is very painful and has gradually gotten worse over the last few years. Now, because of the odd way I'm walking, my left knee has started hurting too. I visited an orthopedist about my hip one to two years ago now, and he said all that could be done was a hip replacement. He said that the femoral head is too big for the socket and had worn down cartilage and now is arthritic. I'm only 51. What can I do to move better pain-free or at least with less pain? Charles, okay, I've never met you before. I don't know what other types of movement that you've done, so it's challenging to answer this question for you, but in general... Anytime anyone expresses an issue with the knee or the hip, I always recommend checking your foot mobility and footwear because as you step through life, you've got all this mobility in your foot. And one of the reasons you have so much mobility in your foot is when you step on a surface, your foot has the ability to change drastic shape so that your knees and hips can kind of move in the direction that they were going. So if you have very stiff feet, or maybe you have really mobile feet but very stiff shoes, when you repeatedly step on that, then that kind of complex deformation doesn't happen at the foot. It gets kind of like passed up to the knee or to the hip. Now, like that's one scenario. Of course, there could be a hundred, if not a thousand other factors. That all being said, I always say start with your start with your feet and start checking out the way you load that particular hip. So clearly you've loaded that hip in a particular way. You load your whole body in a particular way, and that includes how you load that hip. The way that you loaded it eventually changed the state of that hip. And then you started changing your load away from that hip to the other side. And now that knee is dealing with maybe carrying more weight. And it's not just weight. It's like the angles and 
the accelerations that are new to that knee. So I would recommend starting with your feet. And you can find a bunch of stuff on my website. Whole Body Barefoot's also a great resource to kind of go, oh, okay, so here's some ways I can introduce motion to my foot and my ankle, as well as practice some motions where as you're moving, like let's say doing some calf raises, as you do calf raises, can you keep your weight even between both feet? Do your ankles fall out? Does your rib cage slide to one side? Like, are you able to use your musculature in a way that maintains symmetry? So a lot of my books are just helping you kind of put your body on a grid. Say, I want to move in this particular way and then see what you're able to stabilize and what you're not able to stabilize. And then you scale the exercise to be able to recruit more of you to when you are walking around from point A to point B. Now, the other side of that is you've used your hip in a particular way over and over again. So kind of the idea of corrective exercise, like that's just a name for it, but the idea is maybe try to diversify the movement of that hip a little bit. So it's not like you're trying to change the state of the tissue. Like that's not your primary concern. You're going to diversify. You're going to do some different exercises of, of both of your hips, of both of your knees, of both of your ankles. And you're going to start playing around with when I add maybe, if we think about nutrients, if I introduce some other movement foods, does that change kind of the resting state of how my hip feels, you know, what's expressing the experience that you're having of your hip. So we've got looking at your feet, looking at your shoes, doing some exercises, like not with the intention of like making your hip better, like to fix the problem, but rather what happens to the issue when you add a little bit more nutrition to the movement of the hips, and that is to use it in different ways. That's through exercise. Now, the next part of that would be through non-exercise ways, which would be look at or like try to quantify what you walk on most of the time. Is it mostly city streets? Is it the same path? Is it the same shape over and over again? Because I've worked with people who've had various pains or more serious, you know, injuries in certain areas. And they found that when they diversified what they were walking over, that the natural byproduct of changing your terrain would be to not create that same load in the hip over and over again. So someone who couldn't walk comfortably down their normal urban route could take to a park or a natural landscape and find that they could walk just fine the same distance, but because of the lumps and the bumps, it never placed the same load on on the hip. So you can play with that too and see if that changes it. But again, I would maybe deal with the first two first and then maybe hop into the third as you feel comfortable. So thanks to the Dynamic Collective sponsoring these listener questions. Today, we're going to talk about Venn Design for a second. And I was just looking at Venn Design's website because I've had, I have one Venn design ball, which is just, they make really beautiful covers for regular exercise balls, but I've been wanting some of their cushions because I've had our cushions for about five years, which means, which means my floor cushions have kind of grown up with two children that are now five and almost seven. So like that just is a nice way of saying they're totally thrashed and probably full of food bits. So anyway, I've been looking at their website and I just found 
a lovely little section on vendesign.com.co, actually. Movement matters. Regular varied motion is a necessary component of a healthy and balanced life. Have you ever thought about movement like food? Yes, Vendesign, I have. Changing up your postural habits throughout the day is made easy with our Venn design chairs and buckwheat sitting cushions. So anyway, I just thought it was funny to get the shout out of both Movement Matters and Nutritious Movement. I like that the metaphor of uh, movement as nutrition is spreading. So anyway, thanks to Venn Design, Unshoes, Earthrunners, Mai Mayu, and Soft Star Shoes. If you like more information about the Dynamic Collective, find them linked in our show notes at nutritiousmovement.com. And if you have a question that you'd like me to answer, send it to podcast at nutritiousmovement.com. I love hearing from you. And I would also love to see you in person. I have a big tour coming this spring, really the last week of May and the first few of June. I'm heading to British Columbia, Canada at the end of May. I'll be in Victoria and Vancouver. A few days after that, I will be flying across the ocean to Europe, events in Scotland England, Germany, Italy, and Spain. You can find the details at nutritiousmovement.com. Just look under my live events tab, and I'll put a link in the show notes too. Thanks all. For more information, visit nutritiousmovement.com and sign up for my newsletter. Come say hi on social media. I post movement tips almost daily on Instagram slash nutritiousmovement. If you enjoy listening to Move Your DNA, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Your review helps other listeners find their way to us. On behalf of everyone at Move Your DNA and Nutritious Movement, thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.